Chapter 4 Pay attention, Tibbs, to what is precious to people. Do they cling to paintings or pastimes or money? Do they shun the gifted items of others by shoving them into drawers instead of putting them on display? Remember that when a person leaves their home quickly, what they leave behind might be as important as what appears to be missing. Inspector Percival Pensive, The Case of the Disappearing Dex... 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 The Hotel McAvoy's lobby rustled and murmured as women in full skirts and feathers mingled with men in their dress coats and Homburg hats. The doorman and desk attendant busied themselves with afternoon arrivals, and there was a decided feeling of anticipation to the place. Marked by a corner of bunched luggage and flocked parents awaiting transport to Hollingsworth Hall. Even hotel guests who were not bound for Hollingsworth paid tribute to the milling group with silent stares and appraising glances. Tabitha journeyed the steps slowly, observing the four children seated beside the reception desk, lined up along a bench like expectant soldiers. Clearly, clearly they were her fellow invitees. Nearest the window sat a pleasant-looking tall boy with dark hair and a half-grin directed at a flash of silver in his hands. The seat next to him was taken by a cherub-faced blonde with a cheery glow, and next to her, a yellow-haired boy slouched. He wore delicate spectacles and rested a book on his belly, his mouth moving silently along with the words. The seat beside the marble child, uh, the marble length of desk was taken by an elegantly postured but sour-faced child with lovely auburn curls who kept eyeing the front desk attendant as though she wished he would appear, disappear. All four children were immaculate, with a tall boy and sour girl wearing the finest clothes. Oliver Appleby and Francis Wellington, based on Daddy's notes, Tabitha guessed, leaving the others to be Viola and Edward. Though it's best to never determine a person's identity solely by their exterior, Pemberley. Goodness knows what they make of me. Tabitha took a very deep breath, determined to not determined not to show embarrassment over her own appearance. Francis, do put a pleasant look on your face like the delightful child you are, a stylish woman called from across the room. Yes, mother. A charming smile appeared immediately on the sour girl as she stood and curtsied to her mother, though her eyes remained annoyed. The tall boy put away the pocket tool he'd been fiddling with and caught sight of Tabitha, lingering on the fringes, but still standing solidly within the bubble of the hall-bound gathering. He beckoned her to join the rest of the children. With no small amount of surprise, she hesitated, looked behind her, and finally nodded. Don't bob your head like an idiot, she heard her mother's voice say. A woman should nod demurely. But Tabitha wasn't sure how to nod demurely, so she simply blushed at her own awkwardness and walked toward the bench. None of them want to be friends, so that takes the pressure off, she told herself. And I've got my best friend with me already, she added, giving Pemberley a quick pat. The beckoner grinned and held out a hand to Tabitha. I'm Oliver. Look a bit stiff, don't we all? Pleased to have been right about names, Tabitha said. "'Yes, you do all look a bit stiff,' she whispered back to Oliver. "'That is, I didn't mean to insult you. I'm sure you're all harmless. I just meant—' "'Oh, bother, why can't you behave normally? I just meant that I'm Tabitha.' Oliver's gaze shifted across the room as Barnaby Trundle's family made a noisy appearance. "'I wouldn't be too certain about all of us being harmless. Some seem to fit to win, some seem fit to win a game that hasn't even been announced yet, I say.' "'He—uh—announced yet.' I say, he said, taking a fleeting but not unnoticed glance at Tabitha's apron, you look quick-witted enough to know what the sport is. 
You're not some sort of spy meant to throw us all for a loop, are you? If a sinister event occurs over the weekend, I shall blame you immediately, he promised, eyes twinkling. Tabitha blinked. Sorry? He smiled at her kindly. Joking. Oh, right. It's just that I'm very used to getting blamed for things you see. She gave herself a mental slap for saying another idiotic thing. Oliver is joking, so she should joke as well. Er, um, do I look the guilty type, then? She asked. Oliver narrowed his eyes. Hard to say, hard to say. He cocked an eyebrow. Perhaps we're all guilty of something. Tabitha let out a fumbled laugh and, let herself, and felt herself longing for the simple glares and whispers of the schoolyard. At least those were straightforward. Why, oh why, was it, much, was it so much easier to interact with Pemberley than with other people? It was desperately confusing to both yearn for others to include you and half-wish that they wouldn't. As, an obs as observation was familiar enough, Tabitha settled into inspector mode. Character study, Tibbs, is an integral and constant part of an investigation, investigator's modus operandi. She watched the auburn-haired girl curiously from, corner, from the corner of her eye. Ignoring the chit-chat around her, Frances Wellington had lifted her hand casually to the marble desk. Her finely manicured fingers crept toward a small pile of short pens, which were next to an ink pot, which was next to the large leather guest book. She snatched a pen and stashed it in her elaborately beaded reticule before a full second had passed. What would a rich girl want with this silly hotel pen? Barnaby Trundle continued to stand next to his parents. His father, who wore a larger, bolder version of his son's signature sneer, was gripping Barnaby's arm. Quite tightly, it would seem, for the, from the pained expression, expression on the boy's face. Raising a finger and jabbing it repeatedly into Barnaby's chest, Mr. Trundle gave some sort of instructions and then shoved his son toward the other children. Barnaby bumbled over in a just-been-smacked-for-piddling-on-the-floor puppy manner that Tabitha had never seen from him. The sailor suit his mother had chosen for him was unfortunate. He aimed a hesitant smile toward Frances, nodding at the small open space between her and the front desk. Lips pinched together as though appearing pleasant was becoming intolerable and loath was becoming an intolerable and loathsome task. Uh, Tab Francis scooted over so that all six were seated on the bench. Might as well introduce ourselves, said Oliver. The name's Oliver Appleby and I'm eleven, near twelve. From London, attend Abbott Academy. My father's the head of Appleby Jewelry, so if you ladies are in need for of a nice necklace or bracelet, he's your man. He winked and rolled his eyes. Nobody laughed. Oliver gave an embarrassed grin. He likes to have me say that. I'm lined up to take over the business, though I'd rather be an engineer. I want to work with motor cars. He pulled out the silver tool from his pocket and held it up for general view. I nearly fixed a faulty engine just last week using this knife and metal toothpick from this. His lips twisted to one side. Didn't work out too well, actually. Anyway, pleased to meet you all. I'm Viola Dale, said the sweet-faced blonde. Her voice was light and breathy, but confident. She had a lovely green velvet bow in her hair and a smile that seemed eager to please. Her dress was a generous cut of matching green velvet, complete with buttons and lace from her neck to her knees, where the whitest of wool stockings was, were worn with a darling pair of black dress shoes. On any other girl, all those buttons might look excessive, but Viola wore the dress with such a casual manner that Tabitha liked her immediately. I'm eleven, too, Viola said. I go to St. Stephen's with Edwards. We live in London, next door to each other, actually. 
Our mothers, our mums and dads know each other quite well. And let's Steve. What else? I love to research social services, and I'm learning French. Frances tossed her hair, snorting like an amused piglet. You're learning French. How new money of you. My mother would love to take your parents on. She runs a finishing business for young ladies. Not that class or grace can be taught. Nor can humility, Pemberley. Frances Hortensia Rathborn Wellington, also age 11, near 12. I already speak French. I have a private tutor and live in London as well. The second we got the invitation, my mother used her connections to hire a former servant of Hollingsworth Hall. For a price, the woman babbled everything, she frowned, which wasn't much. Out with it, then, Edward said. The others nodded. Frances' mouth tightened. Fine. She locks herself into her bedroom some nights and supports the women's movement, though not openly. Oh, and she talks to her staff like they're actually people. How ridiculous is that? Tabitha covered her laugh with a cough. Scandalous, she tapped onto Pemberley's back. Next in the introduction line was Barnaby Trundle, who did not mention attending school with Tabitha or say a word about his tendency to be awful in general. Tabitha was tempted to add a bit to his introduction, but made do with realizing his sailor outfit was perhaps more of an embarrassment than her own clothing. Hello, Edward said next, straightening in his seat. Edward Herringbone. My parents work with the Dales. Like Viola said, they've all been best of friends for years. We spent enough Christmases and holidays together to be one big family. I like animals and poking bugs and reading thick books on history and medicine. He nodded at Oliver. That little knife and toothpick of yours would have worked wonders on medieval battlefields. Instead, people mostly had their wounds jabbed at with rusty nails or sealed with hot irons, or he trailed off sensing a general lack of enthusiasm. Anyway, not a clue what we're doing here. He rattled off a few sentences in French and awaited Francis's response. Francis stared blankly. I asked if you knew why we're here, Edward told her, you being a bit of a know-it-all. Perhaps Francis's old money French is a little rusty, Oliver said with a wink in Tabitha's direction. Shut up, I don't speak peasant French. Speaking of peasants, Francis added with a smirk, who exactly are you? She looked pointedly at Tabitha. Simple is best. I'm Tabitha Crumb. I live in Wilting. My father works at a bank. I'm 11 as well. Tabitha keeps rats, Barnaby blurted. I saw her playing with one at Outdoor Invigoration one day. Tabitha glared at Barnaby and placed her hand over her pocket. It wasn't a rat. It was a rat, Barnaby insisted. You were feeding it something like it was a proper pet. A filthy rat, Francis said, recoiling to Barnaby's side of the bench. Are you perfectly serious? You can't be, of course, but I can certainly imagine it. My God, Tabitha Crumb, you are officially the most disgusting member of this party. You've edged Edward out of the spot completely. Edge me what, sees? Edward asked, popping a pocket chocolate into his mouth. It was a mouse, Tabitha said softly. Perhaps the admission would cause her to close any chance of making a close acquaintance among the group, but loyalty was owned to Pemberley. Tabitha had forgotten many of the rules of friendship, but that was one she felt certain of. And he wasn't filthy at all, and he's listening to us at this very moment. I'm sure. Lovely brooch, Tabitha, Francis said, clearly not meaning it at all. What is it, some kind of insect? I like animals too, said Viola, patting Tabitha's knee. Tabitha's hands... Went, hand went automatically to the pin. It's a bittern, she said, hating herself for the blush she couldn't stop. After all, there were far worse things than being insulted. Having hair pulled out, clump by clump, 
sifting through a rubbish bin for rotten food to eat, witnessing a carriage running over a kitten. Oh, a bittern! Viola exclaimed. We just learned about those in our nature course. Our teacher said that they used to be found in the wet areas of England, but they've nearly all died out. It was so very sad to hear that I told her perhaps some have hidden themselves away. Maybe they'll come back one day. She leaned over Oliver and looked at the pin more closely. It is lovely. Do you know that the Countess has given away nearly 8,000 pounds to avian causes? Birds and jewelry are very big and Birds are very big in jewelry design now. My mother has a piece almost exactly like that pin, Oliver said, glaring at Francis. In fact, that design would fit nicely at any of my father's stores. Where'd you get it? I'll recommend the jeweler to my father. Tabitha reddened once more. Oliver was just being kind, lying and trying to knock Francis down a bit. My mother gave it to me. How nice! I'm sure it was her best piece, too, Francis said, keeping her eyes wide and innocent. Tabitha gripped Pemberley lightly, willing his influence to keep her silent. "'The Countess is sure to like your pin,' Edward said, having finished his treat. "'There are swans in her seal.' "'Oh, and we learned of something of swans in class as well. Boy and girl swans mate for life,' Viola said, with a soft smile. "'You know, the Countess never remarried after her husband died. I think it's terribly sweet and romantic.' Edward pulled a, wor a worn envelope from his back pocket. He peered at the broken seal, trying to press it together. Huh. Doesn't look so romantic to me. They're the same size on this seal, aren't they? Boy swans are bigger than girl swans in real life, so I'd say these two are brothers or sisters, or maybe best mates, but not the best of mates. He chortled at himself and scratched his nose. If I recall, the Countess's husband was rumored to have been murdered. And I've heard the place is haunted with all manner of ghosts. He winked at Francis. You're not the only one with access to rumors, are you, tea cake? Francis sniffed. Good God, do you never stop thinking of food? And I suppose anyone with access to the daily tabloids knows of the ghosts. Former employees, bitter from being let go and looking to make money with their lies, Mother says. Viola looked around the foyer before raising her eyebrows and lowering her voice to a whisper. I don't have any information about the ghosts, but I heard something about her husband's death. It was probably in a grisly matter. manner. Oh my... Tabitha's curiosity bullied away her silence, and she found herself unable to remain quiet. Um, sorry, but why do you say that? She asked, wishing very much that she had either a writing tablet or Pensive's enormous memory to store the information in. Viola cleared her throat. Since moving to Hollingsworth Hall, the Countess has given £5,000 a year toward hospital care for injured constant constabulary workers across England, from city police to small village watchmen and parish constables. And the funds were marked only to care for the fiercest of injuries. Manglings, blunt force wounds, slashed appendages, things like that. I don't know how much money she gave before she came to the hall, but because Mother could only find donation records for the DeMoss name starting when the Countess moved there. But research shows that a consistent hospital donation of that size probably indicates some sort of traumatic injuries to an individual close to her. And why the police, you think? Tabitha felt a flush come over her. Stop asking questions. This isn't time to play inspector. Take mom and daddy's advice and just stop talking altogether. But Viola didn't seem bothered in the slightest. Her lips twisted in thought. Perhaps because they made proper inquiries. I've overheard bits of conversation at a fundraiser, she added. 
Two ladies were discussing how best to appeal to the Countess's sensitivities, and one mentioned her moving to Hollingsworth Hall with only her son and sister, and apparently early staff members overheard the Countess speaking with her sister about their husband's death. Husband's deaths. A double murder. Tabitha patted Pemberley gently, but he didn't appear to be trembling. Tabitha had read enough pensive novels aloud, she supposed, that the word murder didn't carry too much of a shock with it and the Times article she'd read had hinted at the possibility. Oliver clucked his tongue, opening and closing items on his pocket tool. It's awful. Yes, Viola said. No wonder she wasn't ready for another marriage after that. Edward shrugged. Though I suppose none of the gossip ruled out the Countess and her sister doing the husbands in themselves. Seemed they came into enough money to buy themselves a hall. Ha! Not too shabby, I say. Viola gave a good-natured harumph followed by an affectionate smile. Oh, Edward, you'll never be a romantic. Edward popped another chocolate into his mouth and grinned. Never planned on it. Vaguely, Tabitha wondered what it would be like to have a close friend to trade barbs with rather than a mouse. Not that there was anything inferior about a mouse. A man in formal driver dress uh, stepped into the lobby, straightening his coattails and cleared his throat. "'Transportation to Hollingsworth Hall, ladies and gentlemen. "'Children in the first carriage, adults in the second and third, please.' "'Lined up were the three splendid black carriages, "'each with a driver and footman. "'The dark veneer contrasted dramatically with the white horses "'set to pull them along. "'Even the horses seemed formal, stamping their feet with strength and dignity, "'trying to keep warm in the early afternoon air, "'which was growing colder by the hour. "'They shuffled outside, the parents scrutinizing the children "'as they exited one by one. Mrs. Dale kissed Viola's forehead, and Mr. Appleby shook Oliver's hand in a mock-serious way. Frances Wellington had brought a trunk and two cases and made herself busy by ordering an attendant to be careful. Doesn't feel like, doesn't even feel like there's anything in this one, said the man, lifting one of her cases. A nice surprising change from heavier loads, she, he added, reddening under the influence of Frances's cool stare. Do hurry, please, uh, do hurry, please, children, said another attendant. Why don't you hurry, Francis told him, stomping up the short steps and setting and into the double bench space. Settle in, everyone, the lead driver called out, uh, called over the activity. It may be a bit of a bumpy ride. He turned his face to the darkening sky where white and gray clouds billowed and grumbled overhead. We've got a few hours to drive and the world looks fit to send something unsightly our way at any moment. End of chapter four.